I'll open, you know, a box of Cheerios and there'll be a red ink dot that's obviously ink, but I get it in my head that it's blood and then I lose my mind. Trouble can come in all kinds of ways. It could be a simple mistake, a dumb decision, a brilliant plan gone wrong. But it also can be a state of being, a constant, and you have no choice in the matter. Washing my hands for an hour isn't something that I want to be doing. (laughs) My hands hurt and they bleed and there's a million other things I could be doing with my time. But it's not like, you know, I get a lot of like, well, then just don't. And it's like, yeah, that would be great. What if trouble lives with you at all times? What if it confronts you while you're doing simple tasks, like you're eating a sandwich, doing your laundry, at a friend's birthday party? Today, we're talking with a woman named Jamie. And she knows what that's like. It's overwhelming. It's it's time-consuming. It's constant. She also knows what it's like when people misunderstand her trouble. It's not perfectionism and it's not controllable behaviors. And I think a lot of times it's actually a reaction to feeling a lack of control. So you control everything else. And it's very aptly named in that it is obsessive compulsions. From WBZ Chicago, this is The Trouble with Shannon Case. I'm Shannon Case. On today's episode... Controlling the Uncontrollable, a day in a life with obsessive compulsive disorder. I, I, it's, so I, sorry, I can hear that I'm exasperated. I don't know how to like, it's, I, it's, I'm mid dealing with this currently. Honestly, like I can hear how silly it sounds now. There's no reason to think about it all day long, but like this year has been so much more out of control. There's a lot of stigma and misunderstanding when it comes to the word OCD, right? People use it as an adjective half-heartedly in conversation. You're so OCD. I mean, I'll admit, I've said things like that. I'd ask a really organized friend if he took his OCD pills today. Yeah, I've done that. And I should know better. I've had my share of experiences with mental health issues, friends, family, myself, I've struggled with depression. And still, I really didn't understand OCD. Then I spoke to Jamie, someone who goes to battle with it on a daily basis. I came to learn how it affects every single aspect of her life. And I started to realize that it's no punchline. Now, OCD is different for everyone. And it can vary from person to person. This is one person's story. Early memories. Mm-hmm. Do you remember doing things differently than other people? Oh, yeah. I mean, the most prevalent earliest memory is that my bedtime routine starting when I was seven years old was at least 30 minutes. I had to be the last person downstairs 
I checked the stove and the oven and the doors and the locks and the windows and the lights. And I had to make sure everything was off. I had to touch everything or look at everything in counts of eight, in multiple counts of eight. And if I messed up, I had to finish that count of eight and start over. Then I would go upstairs and I did the same thing upstairs. I would touch the faucet knobs in my bathroom. I would flick the lights on and off before I got into bed. You know, I like slept at friends' houses and I saw how people got ready for bed. So like the comparison for me was easy to make and that I knew my bedtime routine was not a kid's bedtime routine. My mom now says that she asked someone at the time and they told her I would grow out of it. And so she dropped it. Obviously, I did not. (laughs) So, but there was never like discussion of it outside of that in my house. Do you recall it affecting you? Like, do you recall it affecting just your life as a kid? Um, I do know that on a handful of occasions, I would cry myself to sleep thinking that I was going to die of a heart attack because I felt so worked up from my routine and like feeling like I had to do my routine or I couldn't go to bed or I didn't feel safe. And, you know, even big groups of people stressed me out. I mean, OCD is an anxiety disorder. I obviously have aggressive anxiety all the time about everything. I was painfully shy. People thought I was just a bitch because I would stand in the corner and not talk to anybody. But I was like, no, I'm just like afraid of you. It's not that I don't want to talk to you. I just don't know how. You know, and I always had like, you know, after sometimes after you drink, you like shame spiral because you're like, what did I say? Was I rude? Like, was I Oh, man, I know about that. Yeah. I did an edible once and I felt that. (laughs) That'll get you good. Except I just fall asleep. So it doesn't really get. (laughs) I'm like, what did I talk about? Uh You don't you'll never know. And it's probably for the best. (laughs) What happened with you? Um, I have that sober. Like if we're having a conversation, I'll spend the rest of the month replaying it in my head mm-hmm. and shaming myself for something I said or should have said or didn't say or said incorrectly or worrying that it got interpreted the wrong way or wondering what people mm-hmm. actually think of me. And stuff will pop into my head now from years and years and years ago. And I'll get a pit in my stomach from something I did or said that I wish I hadn't. I don't know how to let stuff go. <laughs> it lives with me for eternity. I'm guessing you you probably have, like everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, your good days and your bad days. But uh, for someone who doesn't have OCD, Mm -hmm. it can be difficult to understand what a bad day looks like and just how much it affects you. Walk us through your day, a bad day. I mean, there are days where I wish I just hadn't left the house. Um. There was a period of weeks where I was two and a half hours late to work every day because I decided that everything was I was wearing was dirty. And so I had to throw everything in the washing machine. But then once wasn't enough. So I had to wash it like five times in a row. And then while I was doing that, something else probably set me off. I either opened a box of something that I decided was contaminated. And then I had to change my clothes again and shower and wash my hands a million times. And when I'm washing my hands, I have to count. And if I miscount, I have to start over. And I have to think about germs being washed off my hands. Like if I'm washing my hands because of, you know, I touch something dirty in the house and my brain wanders to what I'm doing that night, I will be standing at the sink for a half an hour and I still will have to start over again with washing my hands for that specific thing. Or like I'll open you know, a box of Cheerios and there'll be a red ink dot that's obviously ink, but I get it in my head that it's blood 
and then I lose my mind. I have to throw the box away. I have to wash the counter off. I have to wash my hands. I have to change my clothes. It's gotten to the point where I know it's illogical, but I just cannot talk myself out of it anymore. Before this year, Jamie had never tried medication for OCD, even though she had been offered it by literally every therapist I've ever seen. Jamie always felt very strongly that if she started medication, it would be a lifelong thing. And she wasn't ready to make that kind of commitment. I mean, it's scary to be dependent on a pill for your whole life. And she was also worried that it would affect her personality, how her brain works. And as a side note, I can't swallow pills, so it's not that easy. So that's the end of that for a while. But this year was a turning point. I mean, a couple things happened. I had a couple, like, huge blowouts, like having meltdowns over things that were not things to lose my mind about. And in the aftermath of those meltdowns, her thinking on the matter of medication changed. The first major incident involved a fairly minor thing, to most people at least. The culprit, chapstick. There... (laughs) This this one's a treat. Um, <laughs> there, so I bought myself some Burt's Bees. It was a brand new box, and I took out a brand new chapstick on my way to synagogue for high holidays with my friend and her husband. And I don't know if you know, like chapstick comes with like a little tape where the lid meets the container of it. Mm-hmm. And I took off the tape, and the lid was ill-fitted, like it wasn't totally snapped on the chapstick. And I decided that meant that someone had messed with the chapstick. Like, not just that it was an ill-fitting chapstick, but, like, someone has used this or poisoned this or, like, done something with it. And I made my friend's husband use the chapstick to prove to me that he would live. And when we got to synagogue, I spent 20 minutes in the bathroom washing my hands and then spent all of services thinking about how I needed to go home and wash my coat and my clothes and wash my hands with my antibacterial soap. And when I went back to the bathroom before we left, there was blood on the floor in the bathroom. And it just sent me over the edge because then I had to Clorox the bottom of my shoes, which is bananas because I probably step on more disgusting things just in a minute walking around the city. Uh, But because I saw it, it was on my mind. So I had to wash my shoes and my clothes. And the next morning, I was still so panicked about how dirty everything was. And I had run out of Clorox wipes, which never happens. And I called a friend of mine crying and asked her to go to Target for me and get Clorox wipes so that I could complete my cleaning routine before I went back to high holiday services. So, yeah. When things are dirty or contaminated, Jamie has to get rid of them. She left that chapstick with her friend and her husband. She couldn't look at it anymore. For me, a lot of the time, it's easier just to get rid of something than to deal with what it is. And a lot of my issue with stuff is like not knowing what it is or where it comes from. So if I can't figure out or have a reasonable explanation as far as I'm concerned is reasonable, then I just have to like get it out of my face. In the past, Jamie used to throw away an item or two. But now, it's entire bags of groceries. I bought one of those bags of shredded cheese, and there was like a white powder on the outside of the bag. 
And of course, I didn't know what that was. And I was like, where did it come from? What is it really? Now it's touched all my other groceries. Now it's in the refrigerator. It's touched all the stuff in the refrigerator. And mm-hmm. instead of being able to just be like, well, throw away that bag of cheese if you need to and go about your day, I spiraled out of control. And it was just easier to get rid of everything. And I wiped down the entire kitchen, threw everything away that the bag may have touched, took all of the groceries that I just bought, put them back in the bag, and took them out to this guy that I know is on the same corner every day. I like couldn't have them in the house. These kind of incidents or meltdowns, as she calls them, happened regularly for Jamie this year. It's hard for her to even distinguish one from the other. 2017 is like a blur. <laughs> It was way worse than it's ever been before. Usually I can, like, catch it. You know, I can keep up with it, and I just, like, couldn't anymore. Jamie first had this realization after an incident involving a Keurig. Here's what happened. She bought a Keurig from Bed Bath & Beyond. Simple thing, right? Go to the store, pick out a coffee machine, go home. But when she opened it, there was a problem. Inside the box was a four-pack of the pods for coffee, Mm -hmm. and then a two-pack of tea pods. And on the box, it said, bonus, a four-pack of coffee. And there was no mention of the tea anywhere. And I flipped out and was like, well, it's poisoned, and someone has put this in here for nefarious reasons and is trying to kill me, which is I recognize as insane. And even Mm -hmm. as I'm saying it, there's no way to, like, sugarcoat that I, like, lost my mind over this. And I put the box back in the hallway and I changed my clothes and I washed my hands a million times and I was crying and I didn't sleep all night because all I could think about was returning the Keurig to bed and bath. Mm -hmm. So I returned the Keurig to bed and bath and then I washed my hands and I went to Target and got a different Keurig. And while I was standing in Target, I started crying because I had a moment where I started to worry because I... And as much as you can be, I feel like I've always had a good grip on OCD and that I knew what I needed to do to get through my day. I figured it out. I could do it. No problem. And this year has been so much more out of control. But I I can still see the difference between logic and not logic in terms of things I'm worried about. So while I know that this was not something to freak out about, I couldn't control that. That's the OCD. So you loosen in the, in the circumstance, you were outside of yourself knowing, but you can't really stop it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know that it's not logical. I know that that tea was not poisoned. I know all of those things. But I had a moment in Target where I was worrying what if I lose sight of the difference between reality and not reality? Like, where is the line between losing that grip on, like, knowing that that's not poisoned but not being able to control my compulsions about it and and actually thinking that these things are poisoned? And that's scary. And while all this is happening, a year of unreasonable meltdowns and fears about losing sight of reality, something else is also going on behind the scenes so you ha- you haven't had a like a romantic relationship in uh in uh ever coming up next on the trouble one more little thing that sent jamie over the edge ocd is an anxiety disorder 
It's a condition in which unwanted and repeated thoughts, called obsessions, take over the mind to the point where a person has to engage in behaviors, called compulsions, in response to those obsessive thoughts. I can't just like go about my day when I've decided that this is what needs to be happening to fix whatever it is that feels broken or out of place. In the U.S., OCD affects approximately 3.3 million people. That breaks down to roughly 1 in 40 adults, 1 in 100 children. I don't really ever talk about it to anybody. I don't make anyone else keep up with my obsessive cleaning. We've heard about how OCD affects Jamie's day-to-day life, her ability to complete normal everyday tasks, but it also affects another aspect of life. I had never been in a relationship until uh, the beginning of this year. I don't think OCD can take all the blame. I, you know, I'm very shy and I, all of that stuff, but I'm sure that they work in tandem. How old are you? I'm 32. <laughs> I know I shouldn't ask that. Huh? No, I won't base it on the fact that you're judging what my face looks like. <laughs> so you, ha- you haven't had a, like a romantic relationship in, uh, in, uh, ever. This year was the first time I had a boyfriend. I lost my virginity this year. It was the first time I'd been on more than a couple dates with someone. Like, I really, all of that stuff was overwhelming. The physical stuff, there's a lot of issues with it. It's dirty. (laughs) There's a lot of, like, moisture that I wasn't super keen on. (laughs) I think everyone is filthy. And so to, like, be that intimate with someone was overwhelming because, like, I don't know where you've been and, like, I don't want anything from you and it's just not worth it. And then, you know, obviously just, like, the act itself has a lot of... It's just... It's not a clean interaction. Um, And the the thing, too, is, like, the older I got, the harder it got to want to, like, do things romantically or sexually because it was, like, by this age, I should know how to do this stuff. And I was just so inexperienced that the Mm -hmm. anxiety of having to like talk to someone about it or do those things with someone was embarrassing and it stressed me out and so it just wasn't worth it. But at 32, Jamie met someone. His name is Jordan. And with Jordan, when it came to the battle between romance versus anxieties about romance and all the germs that come with it, romance finally won out. I mean, to be honest, I've just never been so attracted to someone ever. I just I just needed to do it. I don't know. I was ready and I was attra- I just like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. God bless his little heart. He called it his sanitation routine. And he would go home from work, shower, put on clean clothes, wash his hands, put on lotion, and then come over. And I was like, this is great. I, you get it. Jordan moved to L.A. shortly after their relationship began. They did the long-distance thing for a while, then broke up last fall. She says it was real messy. For my entire life, all of the things that drove me crazy were just me. And I could see with Jordan how they were affecting another person. And Mm. I didn't think that was fair. How do you think it was affecting him? I just, I mean, I ask a lot of questions across the board. That's not specific Mm -hmm. to Jordan, but it, it, it was a lot of things that like I would ask the question so many times in a row or in different ways in a row or about the same thing over and over over a period of time that he felt 
there was a trust issue. And he was like, I've never been so mistrusted by another human being. It like makes me feel like there's something wrong with me. And he's like, it's demoralizing to like constantly feel like I'm being tested. Like what kind of question would you ask? You know, like where he was or like if he was sleeping with other people or if he smoked a cigarette, you know, I would check his timetables of stuff. Like if he would say something, I mean, he's in my defense, he's not a great communicator. Mm -hmm. However, my constantly accusing him of stuff or questioning him or my paranoia around him. And like when I was alone, all of that stuff is fine because it doesn't bother anybody else. But like it was now affecting another person's day to day and like their mental health. And so that's when I really was like, what more can I do to minimize that stress on our relationship and on him? And if I'm being honest, like that really was the thing that like pushed me over the edge to try medicine finally. And then the therapist that I was seeing at some point asked me, if you had a daughter, would you let her live the way you've been living? Because it seems like torture. And I said no. And she really didn't say much after that because that was very enlightening (laughs) to me. Jamie started on Zoloft. It's an SSRI, which is the most common class of antidepressants. For five weeks straight, she said she didn't sleep. It, like, really was awful. I hated it. I hated it, too. You did, too? Yeah, I did, too. I hated it so long. It, like, really was a mess. Yeah, I think it affect everybody different, but at the same time, I just, I don't even know if I can put a finger on what it was, but I just didn't like it. Yeah, it just was like, it threw me all out of whack, and then everything felt worse because it was so tired. And just when she started taking medicine, Jamie had a really bad meltdown. She was supposed to take a flight out for a friend's bachelorette party. Instead, she ended up paralyzed on the airport floor. I was simply unable to stand up. Like, I could not. The thought of having to go through security and get on a plane was unfathomable. And um, Let me back up a I'm bit. On the floor First scared. of all, like many people, Jamie is scared of flying. She had this revelation as a six-year-old when she was about to take her very first flight with her family. Jamie told her mom she wasn't going. Her mom asked, why not? Jamie gave the obvious six-year-old answer. If people were meant to fly, would have wings. (laughs) Simple. She eventually got on the plane because six-year-olds don't have choices. 26 years later, not much has changed. Except now, she has choices. Jamie chooses to overcome her flying anxiety. Or at least she tries to. I cry when I pack my suitcase because that's the only part of the trip I can control. And when I get to the airport, I like to be early because I have an airport routine, which I would like to not have to detail for you. I'm going to keep that close to my chest. But I have an airplane outfit. I wear the same outfit every time I fly. Um, most importantly, my my flying underwear, which is they're so old. It's like a, <laughs> just a piece of fabric. Uh, then I do my airport routine. I take one Xanax when they start boarding. I get on the plane. So you get the idea. Flying takes a lot of energy, thought, and time for Jamie. It's a tiny miracle every time I get on a plane. This time, however, the tiny little miracle got lost somewhere. I was supposed to go to a bachelorette party, and 
I got off the blue line at O'Hare and I stepped into the corridor. I wasn't even at security yet. And I sat down on the floor like a lunatic and I had a panic attack, full blown panic attack. And Mm. I was crying and I was simply unable to stand up. Like I could not, the thought of having to go through security and get on a plane was unfathomable. I just couldn't. Like I called my mom and I couldn't get up. I was paralyzed with, I just was overcome with anxiety. And my mom finally was like, well, you're not going to sleep there. So get up and either get back on the train or get through security. So I went home, but my friends were less than understanding, which I think half is because people don't really understand it. And I think The other piece of that is that I don't really ever talk about it to anybody. I don't talk about what I go through on a daily basis. I don't make anyone else keep up with my obsessive cleaning. You know, like if you come in dirty, like I may ask you to wash your hands. But when you leave, you don't know that I've like Cloroxed everything that you touched. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And so when something like that happens, for them, it's out of the blue. You know, for them, it's like, ah, you just didn't feel like flying. So Zoloft wasn't working. She was then prescribed clomipramine, which is an older type of antidepressant that has proven success with OCD. She's technically been on clomipramine for four months, but technically is not how life works, right? The problem is I can't swallow pills, so it's not that easy and it makes me drowsy and a little out of it, so I have to take it at night. However, at night, I don't want to deal with like dumping powder into applesauce and making an applesauce sandwich on the powder and then trying to, it's like too much. So uh-huh. it's a real pain in my ass. So I started to like ramp up. I did quarters of it and then I did halves of it and then I finally got onto a whole of it. But I only probably did that consistently for a week and then it was like every couple of days I would remember to do it and then I just stopped altogether. So I haven't been taking it, which is not great. Are there other things that help? Um... TV has always been an escape for me. If I'm really worked up after I've finished whatever the ritual is that's going to satisfy me, it is very helpful when I can sit down and watch whatever it is I'm into at the moment because it's distracting and I can focus on that entirely and the noises in my brain are, (laughs) for all intents and purposes, a little muted when I'm doing that. How do you you think... How do you think people perceive you? Oh, who knows? If you were outside of yourself, how how do you think? Um, if we work together in the same office, would I even notice anything? So likely, no. However, there's a sink in my office where I work now. So normally where I would schlep to the bathroom to wash my hands, I try to just do it in that sink because it's closer. But because of that, I've been getting a lot of, oh, are you scrubbing in comments? Or like, man, you wash your hands a lot, which is like, mind your own business. (laughs) Like, leave me alone. (laughs) Um, But outside of that, really, probably you would not. I'm pretty good at hiding stuff. I've gotten caught crying at work. Well, usually I go hide. Like there's a room at work where I cry, <laughs> but there's no windows. So normally I can like get there in time and then no one knows where I am. Uh, once I couldn't get there in time and I was hiding in an office behind a door and someone went in there for a meeting and like caught me crying. But that's the only time I think. What would you be crying about? Oh, God. All of the things. I don't know. <laughs> Anything. Just nothing. Yeah. Just life. Yeah. Sometimes it's like 
I forced myself to leave the house because I was so late, but I know that waiting for me at home is more cleaning I have to do. Or like sometimes I sit down at my desk and it's like the way I picture germs or contamination is not scientifically accurate. You can't really like transfer germs through fabric, right? That's Mm -hmm. not really how that works. But in my mind, if I sit down on the train, now my coat's dirty. So now I have to think about what am I sitting on next that my coat has touched? And then from there. So like if I sit down on my chair at work and then I put my backpack on my chair or I touch my chair with my hand, like now all of those things are contaminated. And then if I put my backpack in my house, now everything the backpack has touched in my house is contaminated. So like you've kept this combination in your mind. Like as you go. I track it. That's correct. So like what I obviously am trying to do on the daily is avoid that path. But there are some days where like it happens so quickly that I can't catch it. And then it gets to a point where I either have to start over, like literally start my day over, or I have to just be like, okay, I give up on that for that day. And then I have to go like cry. Up next on The Trouble. I just wish people understood that mental health is still health. That's next on The Trouble. What do you wish people knew about you that they don't? I don't know. I I guess in the context of this conversation and in terms of mental health, I just wish people understood that mental health is still health. And, you know, if I need to cancel something because I'm having a day, I wish I didn't have to say like, oh, my stomach hurts because a physical ailment is so much easier for people to understand than me saying I have anxiety. Even when I was in the airport and I couldn't get on the flight, my friend's boyfriend was like, just get on the plane. Just like go, just like get on the plane and sit down. And I was like, oh, you like you really just like don't get what's happening, which is totally understandable if you've never experienced Mm -hmm. it or don't have anyone in your life who's experiencing that. But I just wish that there was a bigger conversation about mental health and it wasn't so stigmatized or taboo and that people felt safe. I leave in the middle of the day once a week to go to therapy. And like I use this example because it's extreme and I know that. But if I were going to chemo once a week in the middle of the week, no one would say to me, don't do that. You have a meeting. But because it's mental health, you know, there's always like a, well, cancel it. Don't go. Mm -hmm. You know. Is there any good that's come from all this in your view? Um, Knowing what I go through on the daily basis and not really talking about it to people has helped me be like, Everyone's having their own experience. Just because you don't get it doesn't mean it's not very real and very big for Mm -hmm. them, whatever that may be. You know, that person who's screaming at the customer service guy is probably just not a nice person, but also might be going through some shit. You know what I mean? And just like (laughs) popped off for no reason. Uh huh. I don't know that he's always like that. Uh huh. Maybe it's a weird example because like don't yell at strangers. There's no reason for it. But like you don't know what anyone's going through. Exactly. Yeah. On a given day. I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Like I started over in life probably about five times, you know, and I might mm-hmm. start over more times in my life or whatever. But you start over that many times. And you start to kind of like have a level of empathy. Like when people going through stuff, you're just like, hey, man, I, I know how it feels, you know. And people's life experiences kind of makes them feel things differently, you know. Totally. Not not to be like job interviewee, uh, but but like question, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, God. I don't know. 
I mean, where do I actually think I'll be or where do I want to be? Because those are different questions. Uh, both. Okay, great. I, oh God, I hope no one from work hears this, but I want to be at a different job. <laughs> I want to be married and have babies. And if I can't be married, then just have the babies because that's more important to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's beautiful. I want to just like feel some reprieve in however I get myself there on the day-to-day or just overall, just feel a little bit of relief. It, this question comes for me personally at an interesting time because I've spent a lot of time lately wondering what I could have accomplished or where I would be in my life now if I didn't. I'm going to start crying. If I didn't spend so much of my time worrying and cleaning and like focused on not important things, uh, mm-hmm. but like literally the time it takes me to wash my hands in a day is time I could be spent doing anything else. And again, I don't know why this year was such a turning point for me, but I've spent so much time lately questioning where I could have been in my life if I hadn't had all of this other stuff on my plate. What do you, what do you think would be different? I mean, I never thought I would still be single at 32. <laughs> Um, temporary, temporary predicament. Uh, maybe, you know, you'd <laughs> yeah, never know. Yeah. First relationship. That was your first relationship. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not your therapist. I'm sure y'all talked <laughs> about that more than <laughs> You could <laughs> be. <laughs> this has been very cathartic. Life continues. And uh, I like the ideally. I would say stick with the ideally. But where do you, where, we said both. So what's the other, other 10 year you? I don't know. Probably exactly where I am right now. Just me and my cat watching The Flash on Netflix. How was this interview? I am already uh, worried about what's going to be in there, how it's going to be interpreted, how people are going to see me, who's going to hear this, what you're going to think of me when we hang up. If I said enough, if I said too much, if I missed an important piece that like later I'll be like, oh, I should have shared that or I wish I didn't share that or um, it's already I'm well into the the shame spiral <laughs> so but on my end to you mm-hmm. it's been great talking to you I, I've gotten more insight and um, I appreciate you being vulnerable to share your story that's that's um, a brave thing to do so I appreciate it thank you for having me The Trouble is a production of WBZ Chicago. I'm Shannon Kaysen. The producer is Candace Mattel-Khan. The senior producer is Joe Dassault. And executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We're looking for other stories of trouble. And I want to talk to you. We're at The Trouble Pod on Twitter. Or you can shoot us a note at thetroublepod at gmail.com. Tell me about your trouble stories. I know you got them. We all do. <laughs> Subscribe to The Trouble on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to these things. And make sure you give The Trouble your best rating. We'll see you next time. And whatever you do, try to stay out of it. I'm curious. Are, are you going to listen to this episode Absolutely when it comes out? <laughs> no. No fucking way. Zero percent chance.